Yo, what is up? Welcome to the Street Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Dave One. And we got a special bonus episode today, bonus episode number 11. So if you caught our last episode, we had the young Ross with No Sauce Johnson, uh, a great uh, young guy, revivalist. Uh, he's about saving California, and I don't mean saving it in a political way, but in a spiritual way. And then he thinks it'll... Uh, all pan out after that, which I believe that too. So uh, if you didn't see that last podcast, make sure you go and check it out. So my boy Ross, uh, definitely a solid, solid dude. But today, uh, you know, we got a, a guest here. Uh, he, he carved out a little bit of time for me, which I, I I appreciate, man. This guy is a believer. He's a father, a husband, a speaker. He's an ex-cop, a radio host, a YouTuber, a political commentator, and he's an entrepreneur because I've been seeing all these shirts, man, and uh, <laughs> they've been looking really tight. But I want to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Brandon Tatum. What's uh, up? Man? What's up? What's up? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So the, so the first thing I'm, I'm going to tell you this, man, my wife is a huge fan of yours, man, a huge fan of yours. And awesome. Uh, so uh, I was following you, and then I didn't know she was following you. But she was like, this dude, this dude's good. So every time she would show me something, and then she was like, I listen to him every day driving home on the radio. Wow. Like, you listen to him every day? She's like, yeah. So when I get in the car to go to the gym or something, it's it's already on that channel. So I'm like, what are you listening to? And she was like, <laughs> I was listening to Officer Tatum on the way home. So I was like, he's on the radio? I go, I know he's on YouTube. And uh, Salem radio and stuff like that. But uh, and the actual radio out here in uh, SoCal, you're on. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's, a lot. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. You know, uh, there's times where I'm like, what am I doing? Uh, (laughs) You know, working all day long. And then me and the wife started a podcast. We haven't launched it yet, but we're we're doing some recording of it. So after my entire day, after doing all my YouTube, social media, three hours of radio, and then she want to do two hours of podcast. So I'm, 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 but, but I think it's for a good cause. You know, God is, is giving me the ability, giving me the strength, giving me the the energy to do it. So I need to take advantage of that while I can and, and, and do what God has purposed me to do. So. For sure, man. I, I I get into those modes, too. You get really busy, and then sometimes you're like, why did I take on all this stuff, man? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. This week I got a, got this podcast, work, you know, uh, I'm officiating a friend's wedding <laughs> Sunday. I got to preach in a couple of weeks, man. So it, it's like sometimes, you know, you still try to get to the gym and have a little family yeah. time and all that. So it's, it's a lot. So I can imagine uh, what you're going through, man. But First time on the podcast. So I always start off with where are you from and how'd you grow up? Yeah, so I'm from Fort Worth, Texas, uh, born and raised in Fort Worth. My whole family live in Fort Worth. And I can say I grew up in a uh, very dynamic background. You know, my mom and daddy wasn't together, which is not untypical or not uncommon. And, you know, growing up black in America, unfortunately. Um, but my mom and daddy were not together. My daddy was always in my life. So it was no real issue with that. It's just that they were separated. I didn't have that family structure initially growing up as a kid. My dad got remarried. He had other kids. I mean, he had another kid, which is my little sister. And then my mama stayed, you know, unmarried uh, for for a pretty significant amount of time. 
And so that's kind of how we grew up. I had an older brother that uh, we were re really close in age. We were about a year and nine months apart. So technically about two years apart. And so we did everything together, you know, growing up together, going to school together. You know, he was just always one grade ahead of me. And um, yeah, so that's how I was. You know, I grew up going to church, you know, church was we were in the church, but the church went in us. <laughs> so uh. I, I, I should say that we used to show up there, but, you know, uh, there wasn't a lot of follow up at home. It was just the way it was in Texas. When you grew up in Texas, you play football, you go to church. Right. Um, so, but I think it, it really uh, helped retain in my consciousness, you know, over time when I went to college and, and that's a whole nother story, but um, I grew up playing football too. Football was my thing. Uh, coming out of high school, I was an all American football player, one of the top players in the nation. And then that just led, you know, me to college and so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you're one of the top guys in the nation coming out of Texas, that means you must've been pretty good because that's okay. Texas life. That's what you got to do. So it's, it's oh, like, yeah. A, a rite of passage if you're a young guy out there football is real in texas i, I you know it's, it's real. i know it's real in california real in florida but texas is is just different you know like you know the friday night lights movie that was a real thing like we played those country schools in stephenville and brownwood in the middle <laughs> of nowhere and literally they shut the whole city down it would they had the signs that flipped over on the diners and everybody in the city was at the game all those kids that played in high school football together they all played elementary middle school peewee they played all the way up together and they had a tremendous football team and they used to smoke us every time i mean we had d we had nine d1 players on our, on one team um but those country boys still just they just had it in them man they played football better than us and they would whoop us almost every single time we go to the playoffs we'll lose to one of them country teams the inner city schools was a little different but we we did have a tremendous amount of athletes like i said we had nine d1 players on our one team and then when four of us were all american in different years, but we all was on the team at one time at the same time. And, yeah, there's something different about. Well, I think when you're in the city, you're a little bit more distracted. When you you're in the more in the country or rural area, I think those players are tough because they, they they're just like focused. They're not distracted from anything else. They they go to school, maybe go to church, probably work on the farm a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and they don't got the distractions of the city. Right, right, and they, and they, and they, that's all they do is football. I think I remember Brownwood or one of those schools we played. They had a, like a 19 million dollar a football stadium in the middle of nowhere. I mean, that the football stadium was the most beautiful thing in the city. And when you drive into the city, all you see is lights in that football stadium. Everything else is country, you know? So um, it was, it was a, a unique experience playing football in Texas, but I think it really, you know, got me to the point that I'm at today. Right on. What, what made you decide to be a, a police officer? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question. You know, I never thought about being a police officer a day in my life. You know, growing up, I always had a negative idea about police officers. And, you know, just the same stuff that you're taught when you're young, being a, being a, in a black community, you know, you taught that police officers are racist white people and they always trying to get you. And so with that concept, I already had a negative ideology about police officers. And then when I was eight, I got arrested for smoking weed in a vacant house with my cousins. It was me, my brother. It was like seven of us. Uh, we all got arrested, man. It was a it was a bad day. Uh, so it, that was like my only upfront personal experience with a police officer at eight when they were putting us in the back of a patrol car, taking us to the substation. And then, of course, my dad showed up like he was a serial killer. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, he was heated. And we, we, we I knew that we weren't going to make it after that whooping that night but you know my dad you know he he did something i think is spectacular i think parents need to consider is that a whooping is not always, not always the best option for certain situations 
And I think my father knew he was so mad that if he whooped us, it probably would have been it for us. Uh, so, but he gave me a stern conversation that really changed my life. And, and, and one of the things that I wanted to be a basketball player, I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. And I remember us driving home from the precinct and he was telling me, he said, "You, if you don't act with integrity and do the right thing when nobody's watching, you would never play in the NBA. And that, that changed my life. And I, I was never the same after that. However, going through life, you know, like I said, the whole ideology of police and things like that, when I would get pulled over, like they just do it because I'm black. That was like my whole mentality. Right. And so I never grew up thinking about being a police officer. I didn't know any police officers uh, personally or had a, a deep connection with anybody that were that were uh, on the police department. Um, it wasn't until I got saved in college, and we could talk about that part, but I got saved in college, which opened my understanding and mind up to kind of resetting how I thought about people, how I thought about America, how I thought about life and all of those things. Um, I didn't have to have that presupposition of what my parents or what other people taught me. I, I, I looked at it from the lens of Christ and I, and I had that renewed idea about the world, in my opinion. So um, it kind of opened me up. I was more susceptible to even considering it. And then after 2010, when I was in the NFL draft and I didn't get drafted, which was a, which was a huge uh negative thing when I say negative thing but it was a huge blow to my career and you know it was hard on my family because everybody thought I was gonna get drafted you know my agent told me I was gonna draft that Oakland Raiders said they were gonna draft me and when I when they didn't draft me at all they always make the wrong moves they always make the wrong moves that's why they losing the day they should have drafted me (laughs) so (laughs) but um after that I had to make a decision and, and, and God put a person in my life and that's a whole nother story that really gave me some wisdom very successful guy uh, pretty much told me to put an X on the calendar for football. Like if, if it's not yielding results, you need to be able to transition to something else. You can't keep chasing a dream that's yielding nothing. And I did that. And I, and I applied for everything in the city of Tucson at the time. I wasn't even thinking really about being a police officer. I just needed a job. And, and the police department was hiring and they had good benefits. And I was like, that that's a good start for me. And my son was, I think he was about to be born or just born. I can't remember. Um, and and so I was like, look, as a man, I need to do whatever it takes right. to make this happen and be a responsible father. And, and so they ended up calling me back one day and in a weird scenario. Right. I mean, my my oldest son. So I had a kid. I had a, my first son out of wedlock. We, I had him in college after I was saved. So uh, a lot of people probably don't want to hear that, but I, I <laughs> it's, cutting it's up. After it's I got reality. Saved. It's the reality. It's reality, man. And I regret it. I regret doing that. I know that God make made make this better you know he 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 well, like I say he made it better I realized that God had a plan and that my mistake wasn't inevitable right my son wasn't a part of that he God did that a separate thing and then I had to forgive myself to be honest but anyway my son was very young at the time and so I had to make that decision and uh it was funny because me and his mom had had an argument over an engagement ring or something we were arguing on the phone um and I remember the next day the police department called me. And so I thought that they were calling me because she called a police on me. And I'm like, I'd never forget. I'm like, this this woman done called the cops on me over a disagreement over the phone. Oh because I had forgot I applied. So then, then so I started good. talking to them and they're like, uh, you still interested in a job? And I'm like, oh, thank God. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I we can we can make this happen. So um, I did a ride along because I said, you know what, I'm going to take, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least explore the opportunity, um, but I don't know nothing about policing. And I'm like, do I really want to do this or am I just desperate for a job? Let me make sure this is something I actually want to do. 
Right. So I did a ride along with an officer named Sean Payne. He, I wrote about him in my book. I Man, he's he's an incredible story. What a he's one of the greatest men I know. But Sean Payne gave me a ride along, man, and it blew my blew my socks off. You know, the first call we were doing something real simple, like we were helping a lady change a flat tire. Like I could still see it in my mind. Like we were pulling up. She was on the right side of the road. We got out. You know, she we were helping her right there. And then the very next call was a suicidal person. It was a young man. They said on the call, he was attempting to commit suicide, meaning he was actively cutting his wrist, is what the report said. So me and Sean jumped in the car and we're going, we had to have been going like 70, 80 miles per hour down the residential street. And we are flying. We almost died several times because people don't know how to move over to the right. They panic, they stop in the middle of the road. And then we're gunning it, man. And I, I'm, I'm like, my heart is about to bust out my chest just driving over there. We get there, the whole experience happened. You know, I saw Sean Payne, um, you know, pretty much talked the guy into, it was a young kid, talked the kid into putting the knife down. They they took him to the crisis center or whatever to get him the help he needed. Um, but that was a crazy experience for me. I was shocked. And I remember getting back in the car after the whole thing. And I said, hey, man, like, is this something you do every day or this is like a one-off? And he laughed at me. He said, <laughs> he said we do this every day. And I was... I was enthralled. I, I said, I cannot believe that these guys have the, the uh, I don't know, the courage, the boldness, the fearlessness to freaking do this every single every day. day at work. Like, and this was just, I only did a half a shift because I had another job. Right. I had to go back to work. And I was like, I can't believe this. But what it did for me was that for the first time in my life, I saw a man who I considered to be a hero. I said, man, this dude is a freaking hero. And I want to be like that. You know, wow. God, I want to, I was like, God, I want to be like him. I want to be able to save people's lives. And I want to be courageous. And I want to do great things like this. And so right. I became a cop and it, and, it, and it changed my life. That's crazy. I, I asked you that question because that's what you're known by, Officer yeah. Tatum. Yeah. And, and, and I think just in that story right there that you're talking about, I think the, the thing that uh, there's a few things. There's a lot of stereotypes, black yeah. and brown, right? I think uh, you you didn't have a father in the home, but the father was there, still there for you. You oh, yeah, were, we live and we live with my dad too. So okay. we like we we live back and forth. Cause my mom and them live in the same apartment complex at one time. Which so you, we 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 went back and forth, mom and daddy. So it was like we had both of them. So you had him still. You 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 went to college, and instead of becoming more liberal, you probably got more conservative. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. you got well, saved. Well, I tell you that, yeah, yeah, because the virtue of getting saved made me more conservative, right? right. I started, right. I started to realize like these are the principles I stand on. So politically, socially, I don't care what it is, I'm standing on the principles of God, which, which inherently, actually made me more conservative. And then you became a cop, which is, yeah. which is a total. I think, I think when people look at you, they're probably like, oh, this guy's probably, probably whitewashed. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, he grew up a certain type. I mean, but I think that. You kind of showed right there what you kind of went through and kind of learned through life that you 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 can't change. I don't were you always conservative or did you kind of no nah, nah, I didn't really know what that was. And then also for context, like I grew up like like I said, between my mom and my daddy, but we grew up in the hood. Like my cousin then were in the hood. We got arrested. Uh one of my cousins that that was involved in that thing, he's 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 in prison right now. I I talk to him often, you know. I get on a little JPay and then he called me. So we 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 talk often, but like I grew up in the hood. Some of my cousins then were poor, man. They had roaches in their house. Um, you know, so I and I went to Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School, which is named after the famous black poet Paul Lawrence Dunbar, and it was in the hood. 
I'm talking about people coming into school fighting, pulling people pulling guns on each other in the parking lot. I mean, we in the hood. So it's not that I had like this privileged life. It, it, I think God did really well for my parents and they raised me kind of above the fray. But at the end of the day, it's like, man, I got exposed to all of that stuff. We were game banging when we were little. Uh, my cousin, my older, one of my cousins jumped me and my brother in five dudes Hoover crib. Like <laughs> had the flags, he jumped us on the couch. Now he he didn't he didn't hit us in the face, but he hit he was beating us up till we cried. You know what I'm saying? And then he like, oh man, you five dudes Hoover crib. We used to throw up little gang signs like this and do all that. You know, we, we, so you know, but my daddy went. You know, we would do that. We our cousins. We, you know, we put it away. We go to my daddy house because then you know he'll kill us. Yeah. So. You know, so I grew up and I had a lot of those experiences. You know, I used to have gold teeth in my mouth when I was when I went to college. I got Young Savage tattooed across my stomach. I got my hood tattooed on my forearm. <laughs> I mean, I was really like living in that weird life before I got saved. So that's the part that like people may not they see me now because look, look at what God can do in your life. Right. But but before then, man, I had a terrible attitude. Man, I got I got kicked out of high school. Um, they ended up letting me come back because I, I I cussed the teacher out. I threw a chair at her. I was going to fight her if somebody wouldn't hold me back. That's how, like, volatile my attitude was. Now, on the football field, it was good to, sure. to, to have that violent nature. But outside of that, man, it really hurt me in life. And it hurt me when I got to college because I wasn't coachable. You know, coaches say something crazy to me, and I want to fight them. I wasn't even thinking about, like, football no more. Even, I was like, even oh, with your dad in your life, you, you were you were uncoachable? I, even with, cause my dad, I say my dad wasn't as hands on as I am with my kids. Mm. Like my father was a, was an example, but he wasn't a verbal example. Like my dad right. would, if you do something, you get a whooping. Right. You know, my, my dad never like sat down and really had in-depth conversations with me often and tell me about life. Like, okay, this is why you do this. Okay. It was like, you, you do that. I'm going to, you gonna get your butt whooped. Got it. And then my dad would live his life. And that would be an example of like, but when you're young, you don't, I didn't see my daddy like I see my daddy now. When right. I was young, Tupac was cool to me. Mm. My mama dated a dude that was a, that was a gangbanger. He was a drug dealer. He was cool to me because he had money. He was flashy. He had the nice cars. My daddy was a humble man working. He was a firefighter. And um, so the hip hop culture, the dudes in the hood, the dudes that I knew that were selling drugs, they were all like cool to me. And so my father, and I think if I, uh, to be honest, man, if I lived with my father the whole time, it'd have been different. But like, we went back and forth. Like sometimes we live with yeah. my mama and my mama's side of the family was poor and hood and gangster. And, and then daddy, my daddy's side was more, we had more structure, but we didn't always have that, you know? So we right. had my mama, we smoking weed and we doing this and we go to my daddy's house and he kind of make sure we straighten out. So, I wanted to be like the gangsters that I that I knew and that I was listening to on the radio. That was cooler to me. That my peers were were you know uh, inf I was influenced by my peers to feel that way. And it's 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 crazy because it it took like me to be an adult and have a kid to start appreciate my daddy. Like right, dang man, I think that's for everybody. Was a, yeah, my daddy was a solid dude. Like my daddy worked hard since he was nineteen. Yeah, my father was stable all this time. My daddy got remarried. He was doing the right thing. Me and my brother, he, our knuckleheads, and then we had my little sister and my stepbrother. So my daddy had a house with four kids in it, and for him to maintain and do all that stuff and be an example, never getting in trouble. My daddy was, you know. So I, look, I had to. I, I sad as a father to realize your kids ain't gonna appreciate you till they get older. But <laughs> it's you know, true. It's yeah. true because uh, I I remember you know 
being young. And I think one time I was in the garage and I was, I was looking for something in the garage and I found my, my dad's old check stub and it was, it wasn't much. And I, I you, know, you could figure it out. It was, it wasn't a lot of money. And I was thinking, how did he do this with four kids? You know what I mean? Like, this is crazy. But I think you, as you get older, I, I appreciated that he didn't miss work. You know what I mean? No, no. He, he was always working. He was in the home. He went to all my games, did stuff like that. Yeah. So when you're young. You're just like, oh, that's his dad. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. really, but when you become a father, it's a, it's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother yeah, thing. Yeah. 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 So, I, you know, that's what uh, kind of what my background was. But when I got saved, it all changed. You know what I'm saying? God delivered me in, in some stuff instantaneous uh, or instantaneously. Well, because, you know, I told you, I grew up in the church. So, you know, I was always, I always had in the back of my mind, but, you know, I went to some church, right? When I was in middle school, I think it was middle school. And the pastor told me, you know, put your hands up and you and, uh, confess with your mouth and you saved, right? But he told me I was saved and, and like, there's nothing I can do to not be saved, right? So I just kept sinning. And I just kept, I was like, I don't care. I, I can do whatever I want to do. I, I'm already, I'm already going to heaven. So I, I'm going to sin till I can no sin no more. So I, I just totally never read my Bible, did anything. I'm like, oh, I ain't got to do nothing else. I'm already I'm good. going to heaven. So, <laughs> which I think is, is a bad thing to think about. And I don't think it's, it's, it's accurate uh, with the scripture, you know, that right. you, you can't just go off and just do whatever you want to do. So I was, I was off, you know, doing my thing. So I kind of lost touch with God, even though I would, you know, always, you know, I had my little Donnie McClurk in and some of my gospel so that I would play after I'm listening to Lil Boosie and Drake and I, I mean, it was Drake wasn't even out when I was in high school. I would listen to Pac and I would like, uh, Plies and all these dudes. And uh, then I put my Donnie McClurk on when I'm feeling some type of way. So, you know, I still kind of dabbled in it. But then when football wasn't working out for me is when everything, it's like when you get rock bottom, it's like when people start trying to find God. Yeah. Because like football, like I told you, I was an All-American, man. Like all the dudes that I played with in high school in the All-American football game, all them dudes went to the NFL. It's crazy. You know, uh, Michael Orr, they made the movie about him. He went to the NFL. Oh. Our running back, Jonathan Stewart, went to the NFL. Deshaun Jackson went to the NFL. Like a whole bunch of dudes on that team crazy, went, to the, went to the NFL. So I'm like, I'm definitely going to the NFL. That ain't even a question. But then, like my sophomore year in college, I mean, things were falling apart. I got hurt. I was in a doghouse. Like the, the, they didn't want to play me. I mean, dude, I was at rock bottom, bro. I was, I used to cry at night because of football wasn't working out. That was my dream. So I got to the point where I was like, man, I was really trying to rule God out. I was like, let me let me see if this God thing is even real, man. Like, I'm grown now. I'm, I could go to church on my own. Ain't nobody forcing me. I could just go and just see if God is real and see if there's something I want to partake in because I'm at the point of no return. I'm like, I'm at the bottom. Right. And so I went to a church, and the first church I went to was kind of scammy. You know, they would prophesy every Sunday. And, and you know, it was not real prophecy. It was like... God said in three months, you go have a, a more money than you made last month. You know, it's like, it's like I could have told her that, you know, y'all generic like I'm a, and then it's conditional. It's like, but if you don't do this, it, it's like, well, you're not, oh, man. That's you, 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 I don't know you philosophizing or whatever, but, <laughs> um, but anyway, I was like, man, I ain't really feeling this. Then I went to a, uh, Emmanuel Grace Apostolic Church. So they were apostolic. I, I'm sure you familiar, you're a church dude. You, you familiar yeah, yeah. with apostolic Pentecostal yeah. and all that other stuff. Yeah. So it was apostolic. I didn't know what apostolic was. We went to Baptist church when I was growing up. So okay. I was like, I didn't even know what that meant. So I get in this church, man, and it was, everybody was so loving, so kind. I mean, everybody hugged me. I felt like I was at home because I grew up around nothing but black people my whole life. 
And when I went to college, there was no real black people. So uh, except the football team. So going to a black church was kind of like, I felt like I was at home again. And then they would preach the truth in there, man. And Pat Bishop, his name is Bishop Pierce. He don't care about your feelings. Mm. You know, he, it was more of a holiness church, right? So they preached hell and, and they, you know, but it was, it was, it was eye opening because most churches don't really read the Bible. Like they don't, they right. talk, but they don't really read the scripture when they to follow up on the things that they were saying. Yeah. There's a so, lot of preachers that do that. They, they, they preach yeah. a whole sermon and, and don't use any scripture. Or they like, or they like a jump to like a jump to a scripture just to validate what they're saying out of context. It's out like, context, yeah, it's like, it's like, no, nah, my pastor used to say, this is what I'm saying. He said, don't believe me. All right. Uh, John is Matthew, this Corinthians, this, I mean, he would just read the scriptures and it's like, dang, these scriptures are saying what he's saying. Um, and then he said, you know, go home and read for yourself. Right. You, you got a Bible. You should have your Bible and you should check what I'm saying with the Bible. And so I used to really love that man. And then I started having dreams of like getting saved. It was weird because you know how they had a churches where they throw that, that they throw the towel on you or something and they, sure. they fall out. And yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking, I ain't never doing that. Hey, that's fake. Right. So, but in a dream, it's two dreams I had, man. I had one dream. It was like the, you know how you kind of sleep, but you awake. It's kind of like, like you in that right. in between. Yep. And I, I was laying in the bed and I was just kind of thinking and praying because I had started going to church again. And like, I had this experience with what I perceived to be Jesus, right? I'm laying in the bed and I'm like halfway asleep and like this face appeared to me and it was red. And of course, nobody know what Jesus really looked like. But in my mind, I, I'm, I'm looking at this red face and it was Jesus to me. And it's like, and then I felt like it hit me and, and I, I felt like this, this feeling on the inside, wow. like almost like it went in my body. And and that was a weird experience. You got to think I'm not in the church like that. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, that was weird, but I just felt like, like God was drawing me. And so then I had another dream that I was on the floor at the church, right? They, I had, they had threw the towel on me and I'm on the oh. floor and I'm like, and I remember waking up being like, they ain't never happening to me. <laughs> so I started having little dreams like that, you know, like, like, like I was like connecting a little more, like it was like some kind of dreams that would allude to the fact that maybe I'm getting closer to God. So I went to church on a Sunday. It was a girl that I was in a relationship with when I wasn't saved, you know, when I wasn't going to church. We had broke up, but we were friends. So I, I invited her to church because I didn't want to go by myself. One of the Sundays we were there, she they had an altar call. And, and I remember back when they used to really do altar call. Now I don't know what they be doing. But then they you can get prayed for. Like the altar call wasn't just oh, yeah. saved. You, no, we like, we, we do the, the altar call too. Right. You yeah. come to the front, they can pray for you too. So if you, right. you're not getting saved, you can at least get some prayer and the deacons will line up and they'll lay hands yep. on you and pray. So the girl I was with was crying. I mean, she was feeling it, bro. She was just bawling. Ugh. And I'm like, you know what? She not bold enough to go to the front and get prayer, but I can see she need prayer, right? So I go to take her to the front, right? And then I'm in the front now. And so now I'm getting prayed for. <laughs> she, it's Shondo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking her up there. And they like, come on, young man. You know, let, let us pray with you. And I wasn't going to reject it. You know, I didn't know how to say, nah, bro, I'm good. Right. So they started praying for me, man, and it started hitting me. Man. Um, I started because I was praying, and they were they were they were speaking over me, and they were they had we had his hand on my shoulder, my eyes were closed, and then he was like, uh, you know, I forget what he was saying, something like let God use you, you know, whatever, and like he, I guess he could tell I was like resisting it, or I was like not relaxed. He was like, just let go, just let God deal with you, and I kind of like let my guard down, and I felt something. And he saw that something was there. And he go, there it go, there it go. Let this, wow. let it go. 
let let God use you. Like like relax, bro. Like you you trying to block, you thinking about too much stuff. Just just be in the moment kind of thing. Yeah. And so I just kind of relaxed, and 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 the deacons kind of kind of guided me down. It wasn't like they threw a towel on me and I went. Whoa. They kind of like guided me down to the ground, and I'm laying in the on the church, thinking I'm taking this girl up there. I'm laying on the floor in the front of the church that's on my back and I'm just praying and I'm just letting it happen, man. They praying over me, they talking to me and I'm like, I'm just feeling like I'm, I'm kind of connecting with God and I don't know what this is, but I'm, 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 I think something is happening. Right. Right. And I remember the pastor walked up to me in my ear and, and you know, apostolic churches, he walked up to me in my ear and said, you shall be baptized in the name of Jesus. So he asked me that I want to get baptized. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Like, I felt like God was like, it was like that moment for me where it's like, right. it's time. Like, and Brandon, it's time encounter. for you to. A true encounter. A true encounter. It's like, it's time, Brandon. Put that, you, you don't look back. Don't look back. Don't waste time thinking about nothing else. Just go for it. This is your time to get right with God. Man. And I went up there and he baptized me. And I remember when he baptized me, you know, in the apostolic church, they baptized in the name of Jesus, right? And they put, oh. put, put you out. And when I got out and the girl, she got baptized too. And I remember we went to lunch because they, they had a break during church. They had like an evening service, right? So they, they, they get to church all day. Every day. So we had like a little lunch break. So we go to lunch and I remember telling her like, man, I feel light. I feel light. I honestly felt that. And she said the same thing. And I'm like, something about like, I just feel like, and, and it could have been in my mind or it could have been the weight of all that sin that was on me. And after getting baptized, being forgiven of all that sin, my body felt the physical weight being lifted. That's what I, that's how I interpret it. And how does she feel the same way? You know, so it was interesting how that happened. And then um, a day later or two days later, because our church believe in speaking in tongues and all that stuff. Yeah. So a day later, we were friends, right? We, we, we knew in Christ together. So we kind of like learning together. We would go to Bible study and ask Bishop, where does it say you can't fornicate in the Bible? And he'll show us the scripture. You know what I'm saying? Where, what is it saying that? He'll say, hear the scripture. And it was like, wow, this is it. Cause you know, you hear about it, but you never read it in the Bible. At least oh, show me. I never read it. So he like, here you go. And I'm like, dang, it really say that in the Bible. Like then I'm, I must need to follow it then. You know, it ain't like people guessing. It's like, it's scripture. So, right. but we used to do this together. So on a Tuesday night, I had football practice and stuff. So I was still in college playing football. And I remember she called me and like, I got the Holy Spirit. I got the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues and I'm, I was mad at her. I'm like, cause, cause you know, let me, let me say this. People used to speak in tongues in the church and, and we would sit back and say, oh, that's for old people. That's like for the elders and all these people. That's not for us. You know, we young, we ain't speaking in tongues. I don't even believe in, I, I'm not even like there. You know what I'm saying? That's like super deep Christians. And uh, when she told me that, I was mad at her because I'm like, <laughs> you did it without me. And now I was afraid that like I couldn't I wasn't going to be able to get the Holy Spirit. Right. I wasn't. Right. You know, I, I was like nervous that I was, it wasn't going to happen. For me. I wasn't going to speak in tongues. And so I was kind of mad at her at first, but then it turned competitive. I was like, man, if she got enough faith to receive the Holy Spirit, I can do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got I, I feel like I got more. I'm more competitive than she is. The, the athlete in you came out. Athlete in me. I'm like, if she can do it, I can do it, man. I'm going to go there and pray until God give me something, right? Right. And so on a Wednesday night, I went, and uh, it was like I was in a room, and it was like I don't know how many people in there, like five or six people, and they were out praying, and they were a lot of them were speaking in tongues. Some of them were just praying. And uh, I was in there, and that's what they used to do at the apostolic church is to tarry uh, for the Holy Spirit, right? Pray and until you get it. Right. So I was in there, 
And uh, there were some people praying in tongues, some people weren't. And I'm in there praying. You know, I'm a new saint. I don't know. I'm not that deep. You know what I mean? So I'm praying. And and I remember the the elder said, uh, just say hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. That's all you got to do. Say hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. And 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 God will give you the Holy Spirit, right? So I'm doing it. And then like five minutes went by where I'm just doing it. I'm doing it. I'm like, man, ain't nothing happening to me. So I guess this ain't my day. And I remember her, her name was Elder Danny Field. Elder Danny Field looked over at me and said, um, well, I got my eyes closed, but she whispered to me and she said, tell God what you want. Mm. And she read the scripture, knocking and shall be open to you, seeking you shall find and what good father would not give his, and I'm paraphrasing, would not give his son a, a, a worthy gift, like it's something special. Why would he give him some trash, right? So if you ask God, he'll give it to you. I believe that. And then I remember I was praying and I said, I said, uh, God, I want the Holy Spirit. And I, I, God is my witness. It, it had to be like a couple seconds later. And I felt this rush of my body and I started speaking in tongues. Wow. Now, I started, it sounded like an African dude was talking out of my mouth. Oh, wow. And I'm, I, have my, my, I have my eyes closed and I'm speaking in tongues. And it's like an out-of-body experience because I can hear what's coming out of my mouth. But it ain't me. I'm not talking and I, I'm experiencing this. And I'm like, that's why I was distinct. It sounded like an African dude was talking out of my mouth. That's crazy. So I'm, it's happening to me, man. I'm speaking in tongues and I'm just like, I'm just going to keep, just keep going, keep going. All I was doing was kind of like just breathing and, and it was just coming. It was happening. And then I got to the, you know, I was doing that for like, I don't know how many minutes, man. I was just speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. And then I like, you know, I kind of like stopped. And I remember this rush came over me, man, where I was like, I, I visibly said, I, I said, whoa. And, the, you know, the ladies in the church are scared, you know, because I'm I'm a big old football player and I'm going, whoo. And Rick from said. that point on, man, I, it just, I, I never was the same. Now, now I wasn't perfect, right? I was, sure. I wasn't holding myself accountable. I didn't have anybody mentoring me. And I was, you know, like, I'm going to say most men, but you'll get yourself in a, in a pickle if you don't stay consistent and meditate on God and you don't put not put yourself in compromising situations. Right. And because the girl that I was dating before I was saved and we we you know we we were messing around before I had got saved. So after I got saved um she you know she wanted to still be cool and I'm like I don't want to have sex or nothing cuz I'm I'm saved now. And it's like yo no we going to do nothing. <laughs> So we go hang out at each other's house and, and eight o'clock turning to nine o'clock, turning to 10 o'clock. And then what, you know, yeah. now, you, now you, now you compromise, yeah. you know, and then before you know it, you didn't mess around. And so that's kind of what happened with us. I didn't mess around and having a kid. So uh, anyway, bro, I could talk, you know, I got three hour radio <laughs> show. Don't let me start talking too much, but that's pretty much how I got saved, man. And, um, I, I love the part of the, the, uh, that you were a kid in church. Right. And I always talk about the encounter. Because you could take your kids to church all day long, right? All day long, you can take your kids to church, yeah. and it, it doesn't mean that they're going to be touched by God. It doesn't mean that they're going to have their own experience or their own encounter. Right. I, I mean, this that's like a theme on this podcast sometimes. Because I always tell, I've had kids on here that uh, grew up in the church, became adults, and I'm like, and they were doing drugs behind the church. Yeah. And I'm like, what happened? Your parents were in church the whole time. And they, yeah. they were like, I never, I just went to church. It was yeah. just a, a religious thing. You know, yeah. it was just, yeah. I never had an encounter. And I think that the, the encounter for a lot of people, especially young people is, is the most important thing. Cause even if you go away from the encounter, let's say, let's say you, you backslide, right? I think the encounter, that little small voice is still in the back of your head. Like, mm -hmm. Hey, got to bring it back. You got to get right again. 
Yeah, you know where to go. Like it's like it's kind of like a you kind of building a subconscious foundation. Because I didn't go to drugs, I didn't go to anything weird. I, I knew to like, I, this this is what I knew. I knew to go to church because that's God. Because I feel like God was dealing with me when I was a kid, and and it was through my mama. Because I used to be first of all, my mama used to say, "Put your hand on the if I lie, she go put your hand on the Bible and tell me that that's not real." I would not put my hand on the Bible if I was lying. So. I got many whoopings because she knew when I was lying. She go, put, put your hand on the Bible then. I'm like, yeah. and she knew I was lying. And then it also, I also felt a connection with God when I was really young because in Texas, they have tornadoes and stuff. And so I remember I used to be terrified of the tornado. Oh. I mean, I'm just talking about deathly terrified. And my mama used to say, go get your Bible. And I used to hold the Bible in my hand and sit in the closet and I felt peace. Wow. When I was a little kid. Now that could have been just subconscious in my mind as a kid. I don't know. But that used to be my thing. So I used to get my Bible when I get scared and I used to hold the Bible and, and sit in the closet when the tornado would come. And um it, it just made me feel better. So all, all of those memories when I was young, and you gotta think, man, nobody's heard this story of me saying this. I don't even I even write this in my book about this stuff. Yeah. But I used to um, you know, I I uh I used to hold the Bible. So so when I got older, I kind of felt like well, I know that God exists. At least I was exposed to the existence of God. And now it's my time to like test it for myself, you know? And I, I think that's why it's important for, for parents to get their kids involved in church, even in a Christian school or something like that. So they have something to fall back on. You know, they not, if you ain't got God, it's less likely you're going to fall back on God. Like if you ain't never had an experience, you don't even know, you don't go to church, you, like an atheist, yeah. it's, it's let, you, you can, but it's less likely um, then if you you grew up in the church, you know where to fall back on, you know, and I, I always trip out on people that that don't know God at all. And I wonder who they fall back on. What do they have? Right. We, right. We believe we have some hope. We have some peace. Yeah. You know, we can we can go to the scriptures, read the scriptures and and, and pray. I always like, man, what are, what are these people, especially in this day and age right now? It's like, they, what what do they got to go to themselves? Yeah. And, 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 and they're, and they're become utter failures. And then when they fail themselves, they have nowhere to go. And then they end up committing suicide, getting on drugs, living a degenerate life, meaning that self-destruction. And that's what happens. Like if you rely on yourself and then you fail, what do you have? You know, you rely on God, God will never fail. And then what do you, you know, it, then you got to look at your, cause this is the thing about people. They don't understand. God is the same God, no matter what you don't change God. It's right. not like a, you could pray a hundred times like God somehow change. No, the difference is how you are receiving God and how much are you allowing God to work in your life? The work is already moving. Do you get in it? Like, like it's like a marathon. The marathon is already going. Are you in the marathon? Or are you standing on the sideline watching it? Mm -hmm. It regardless is still going. People are still running. The, it's the movement is still moving. God is still working and doing all this stuff. And God is in your life the whole time. You just ain't accepting him. Right. Like, I feel like, like God is omnipresent. God is everywhere at one time. It ain't nowhere you go. God ain't already. So it's not like you somehow can get closer to God or anything like that. The, the thing is that you just need to realize that he's there um, because many people get blessed and, and God do things in their lives and they just don't acknowledge it as God. Like all these people that, that are like atheists and they think they atheists and they go, you know, the, the atmosphere or, or the galaxies told me this. It's like, no, that's God. You just refuse to acknowledge that God is doing that. That's the only thing. Uh, so it, that, that's how I feel. Like when you when you relying on yourself independently, um, you can become an utter failure or you become too boastful, meaning that I've done all this to be successful. Look at me, look at me. Yeah. And pride comes before the fall. And 
or you can be so down on yourself, like, man, I'm gonna never be anything because I'm a failure. Like I didn't go to the NFL or, you know, I had a kid out of wedlock or like I, I cheated on my wife or something or whatever a person can do and only relying on themselves as the barometer of, of how their life is going to go. It, it, it can lead to destruction. Now you, you said you weren't real political. Yeah. You know, growing up and things of that nature, you just kind of went with the flow like like we all do. And let me ask you this. And this is one of the biggest questions I want to ask you, because I think it's it's also a difficult question for for me to answer to people. Now, how do you balance the gospel of Jesus Christ and then the political commentary and what voice is louder or do they kind of come together and blend together? Yeah, I mean, um <laughs> It's, I like I, I, it's like I pull the gospel on everything I do. So okay. if you know, it's kind of like I don't want to say that because it's a bad example, but it's like you put sugar on stuff, right? You're like, oh, I'm pouring a little sugar on everything I do. You know what I mean? Like I put coffee, I put a little sugar in there. Now I don't do that, but you get the analogy. But that's the same thing. It's like it, it ain't good unless I'm pouring God on it. I'm, I'm not doing it. I, I, I do it through the. I could probably make a better analogy, but. I do it through the lens of God and my relationship with God. Politics is not politics independent of God. My politics, my political perspective is framed by my relationship with God. Like that. So, and I know people try to separate it. There's no separation. There's just God. And then my perspective is stemmed from my relationship. Right. So how I treat people, how I do business, how I manage my finances, how I do all of this has to do with my relationship with God. And then when you go over here to politics, it don't change. It's like my political perspective is how I have a relationship with God. So the things that God would not be pleased with are things that I'm not going to accept. Now we live in a world where we only have, you know, we got to pick the better of two evils in some cases, right? So I may vote for a Republican that I don't agree with everything the Republican does, but the Republicans are a better alternative than a godless leftist, right? You know, and, and that's, so that's kind of how, how I uh, I perceive it, but I wasn't always political. I never voted until I until I voted for Barack Obama his second term. So what was that? Two thousand and twelve. Oh yeah. So I I never voted before. And growing up, you, you know, if you had to guess a political affiliation, it was Democrat. Because when you when I was growing up, everybody was a Democrat. We just thought that like if you black, you're a Democrat because the the Republicans are racist white people. And the racist white people don't care about black folks. They don't care about poor people. They just looking for money. And, and so we, we, I'm not a Republican cause I'm not rich and I, and I'm not white. And so um, that's how kind of how I perceive politics, even though I wasn't involved, I didn't, I, I would never watch Bush on television or, or what would happen. I was out here a soundbite from a political person or a black leader that'll say Bush is racist. Bush hate black people. And then that's my I, Bush hate black people. He's a Republican, right? So I wasn't involved, but I had a perspective slightly of political stuff, and it was all framed from. And my now I figure out was from a from a wrong place. But it wasn't until even when I got saved, I still thought I was a Democrat mm. um, because I thought the Democrats <laughs> were the ones who cared about Jesus, right? I thought the Democrats were like Christ. That's why they cared about the little right. people and they were the hands and feet of, like, you know. We don't have to be confused about that anymore. <laughs> right, right. Oh, no, it ain't even close. It's, yeah, it's pretty clear. They, they, they make it more clear now than ever before with the right. transgender stuff, the, the the gay marriage and all this other stuff they be doing. 
you clearly have taken a stance and then they don't want God. They don't want God in the church. They they want, all yeah. this stuff. I mean, no God in the in schools. Yeah. They, they ain't Christians. They, they ain't even, they hate God. If you ask me, they just put on the front, put the little ashes on their forehead and act like they're Catholic, oh, yeah. but they hate everything Catholicism stand for. But yep. anyway, so it wasn't until I became a cop that I started being faced with real decisions that made me realize I need to be politically involved and I'm more politically aligned over here. Because when I first, when I got my first paycheck, that's what, that's what really like made me feel like, well, wait a minute. Like I thought they said I was making 21, 88, 88 an hour. I, when I did the math, I could get a new car, give me a little apartment, my cell phone, un unlimited internet, all this other stuff. I got my check and it was barren. I was like, wait a minute, man, I can't afford nothing with this check. And I was looking at them taxes. I said, the devil is a lie. <laughs> I got to figure out who I'm voting for because I, I will vote just on taxes. Right. So, and then, you know, because so then I still was a Democrat, right? I voted for Barack Obama his second term. And uh, and then it all came to a head when Barack Obama was kind of bad mouthing police officers. Like the Cambridge police, he said, they acted stupidly. I mean, this dude is on a world stage saying, right. these cops acted stupidly. And I went and watched the video. And I'm like, no, they did. They didn't think the guy, they didn't think the guy, the guy. Climb through his window. His neighbor's like, somebody's breaking in his house. They looking out for him. Cops right. show up and they like, hey man, just show us your ID and then look, we good. No, I ain't gotta show you no. It's like, these, this dude is a nut. Right. The cops were being reasonable. And, but Barack Obama commented on a few things and the nation began to change. And we begin to see it on the police department where black people are not confronting us. Now y'all just racist cops and then they'll come at me. Oh, you just working for the white man. You ain't nobody. And I'm like, what? This is not, bro, you, you you have a stolen gun. Like that has nothing to do with race or nothing. You get, you committed a crime, whatever you want us to do. And so I still begin to have a disdain for, for Barack Obama over that. And, but then all the other Democrats was, was supporting that. And I said, man, I never vote for somebody that don't respect the police officers. Um, and so that, that led me to the Republican side. I said, well, let me look at the Republicans, see if any of them I like. Then I realized the Republicans are the Kirk Christians. <laughs> you know, ben Carson is a Christian. You know what's funny is I always tell people, yeah, Ben Carson's great. Uh, what what's always funny to me is in the brown and black community when you ask them without being political, what's important to them? What do they tell you? They say God, family, work, having a paycheck, and safety. Yeah, that's what they always tell you. Like there, there's there's nothing else they can tell you they'll they'll say those things and you're like yeah I, I tell people this all the time i like what's important to you man and they're like well my family I say okay what about god yeah yeah I, I go to church maybe they're not a believer but maybe they just go to church and they they love god right that's how they were raised cool cool you like to have money in your pocket yeah yeah i got money you know i like to have money you know you like taxes nah man taxes <laughs> man cool cool what about safety you think we should be safe Oh yeah, yeah. I want I want my family to be safe. I want to live in a safe neighborhood. You think like owning a gun might be part of that? Like for you to protect your family? Yeah. And I said, man, you're a Republican, bro. Right, right, right. <laughs> and they they get mad for like three seconds, right? And they're like, no, I know I'm not because yeah. I'm not talking about any person, you know, yeah. any individual in this Republican. Party. All I'm saying is what you believe. What you believe aligns with conservative values, man. It like. I don't know what else to tell you, but you sound more Republican than me. And they just right. scratching their head and they just walk away. But I'm like, 100%. A hundred percent. That's what happened to me. <laughs> so the dudes on a, like on a SWAT team, we would be on like SWAT call outs. And sometimes we'd be sitting there 
you know, waiting to do a takedown. We'd be sitting there for like three or four hours. And 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 like the dude, we were getting a conversation, and the dude is like, hey, you know you're a Republican, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not, man. I'm not a Republican. Like Republicans, uh, they don't care about the little man. And he like, these are the things you care about, right? This is the Republican platform. These people over here don't care about none of that. Right. And it's even worse now. Like back then, Biden, when, when Barack Obama was in office, when he, when he first got office. still say, you know, maybe. If you, you were know. in politics, you would know he was no good right away. Yeah. But if you were like, just just get just getting in politics, you'd be like, oh, yeah. Like did it. now they 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 openly say we want to get rid of your AR-15. Like we, you can't have guns. Men can be women and women can be men and LGBTQ and, and like drag queen story hours and and they literally want yeah. the want the God take it out of stuff. They don't even want you to have. They want there's no between church and state. They want to separate all this so crazy stuff that they do, and they they make it more obvious now. So I don't know how a Christian or any black or brown person will even support them whatsoever. And it's then, so 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 once they were telling me that, they they opened my eyes, and I'm like, well, maybe I am a Republican. And then I looked at the Republican ticket, and I saw Ben Carson. I'm like, first of all, this dude is black. Yep. He's one of the greatest men to ever live. And then he's a Christian. He's saying he wants the tax code to be like tithing. I mean, you can't get more Christian than that. And, and so I'm like, and then you go to Democrat and they 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 watering it down. They don't even want to pray. They they try to say and, and they they'll avoid saying in God we trust. Yeah. They'll go in 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 him we trust. So I'm like, what are y'all doing? Y'all, yeah. y'all fake. Y'all not Christians. And so, but then then after after all of that being said and I, I started looking at the Republican ticket and then I as I as I kind of said oh I align with the Republicans then I found out who the Democrat party really was right so not only I, do I not agree with them they were the party of slavery yes they opposed to the 13th 14th and 15th amendment which yes. which freed the blacks gave black citizenship and, and also gave us the right to vote it, they opposed it right. and then the civil rights Act. They opposed it. They were not unanimously in support. They filibustered for the longest filibuster in the United States history to filibuster the Civil Rights Act. Yeah. Like, what do we even talk? Like, I, and, and, and uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden actually did the eulogy of Robert Byrd, who was a former Klan's member, Grand Wizard. And I'm like, yeah. And I know he retired. He denounced it at some point. But if, just imagine if a Republican was doing a eulogy yeah. of a Klan's member. And, and, and the party switch thing, I found out that wasn't true. Because they said the party switch. And I was like, well, how does that happen? Like, they just they just went in and said, I'm now a Republican. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever. Like, no, it didn't happen. It was only, it, there's there's a beta between one or two people. One or two people. One in the House, one in the Senate actually switched. They were all racist Dixiecrats. And one went to Republican. One in the House, one in the Senate. And then the, I think the guy that went to Republican in the in the Senate was a mentor of Biden and them. I right. forget his name. I, I forget his name. I know what you're talking about. But, but but he was the one notable person that went from Democrat to Republican, uh, and he was their mentor. So he was a racist. And so yeah, you got two people. That's it. The what, party did not switch. What do you think it is, man? What do you what? I mean, you're you're a smart guy. I have a few friends that are that are black and brown that did their own research, figured it out. But is it just being hood, hoodwinked the whole time? I mean, because well, because when I talk to people, it's like no, race they're racist, they're this, they're that, and I'm I, and I'm not I'm, and I'll and I'll break it down. I mean, I'll, I tell this story. I was in a I was in my friend's tattoo shop, right, and this is right before Trump 
uh, ran. And so there is, it's busy and there's a bunch of gangsters in there. Right. So I'm in there. <laughs> My friend tells me it's so funny. He's like, who are you going to in front of everybody, everybody in the shop? Who are you voting for Dave? And I said, man, I'm gonna vote for Trump. And he looked at me and everybody looked at me and I'm like, Oh, I'm, and I'm in the back, I'm in the back of the shop. So you can't get out <laughs> of there easy. There's only one door in the front. So I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, 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 I just, I just think the values line up with mine. And I just broke it down to him. I go, you know, you can bring up all the stuff about him, but the values line up with my values. And that's what I'm gonna vote for. And so he was like, yeah. And what's funny about this, these are some, these are some gangsters, but there's some smart dudes in there. Like two of them dudes did the research, did the research. And now they they see it. Yeah. They see it. It's, it, it, it's it, and they'll tell you like, nah, man, I ain't going because what are, they're business owners, right? They have families. You know what I mean? They, they see the taxes. They see the lies. They see all this stuff just creeping in on them from every direction, trying to make them live this other life that they don't, they don't even agree with. So I think sometimes people just get lied to for generations and then maybe they don't want to admit they're wrong. It's, it's, it's the human susceptibility to deception. We all have this susceptibility, you know, we're, 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 we are, I don't want to say it's a predisposition, but like we all are like in this position where human nature will lead you to what's shiny, what's emotional and what feels good to you. Right. And it feels good to say, we care about the poor people. It doesn't feel good to say, we need to help them get off, get off their rear end and go do something with their life. It feels good to say, no, let's help these people. And, and if you do things that are emotionally driven, right? Because nobody likes a racist. So if you say that person is racist, it feels good to say, well, I don't like racist people. I'm a good person in heart. It's almost like diets. So you look like you fit, man, you work out. It's better to eat, you feel better to eat sugar, right? Sure. Snacks, yeah. it feels good, but you know it's not right. You know that you should probably eat healthy, but it feels better to eat snacks. You know you need to go to the gym and you have tried the gym a little bit and you know what the benefits are, but it's but you don't you you want to skip. Human right. nature is leading you to that, and the hard things and the true things are difficult for people to accept at times. So I think that human nature, they have mastered the manipulative faculties of emotions. Yeah. And we have truth and emotions supersede truth yep. to some people. Just like Jesus, when he was doing the miracles, it was emotion. They loved him. They followed him everywhere. He had crowds everywhere. When he started telling them the truth, they started walking away. <laughs> and so... A lot of people don't want to hear the truth. They don't right. want, to, even though they know it'll set them free. And I think that's what happens because you tell a person, you ain't a victim. America is not racist against you. You are the you are the arbiter of your success. It's the sugar analogy. Oh, no, it feels good to say, no, nah, man, it ain't my fault. It ain't my fault that, like, I'm not as good as the guy next door. Because in reality, you don't want to work that hard. But wow. you rather, you rather say it's somebody else's fault because then you can waddle and feel good about yourself instead of looking in the mirror and like, bro, you a loser. You know, you like, you, you have to look in the mirror and say, I'm messing up. Like I'm a bad father. I'm, right. I really suck at this and I need to take the step. Cause it didn't, it didn't happen overnight. So it's going to take me some time to get out of this, but I need to take the steps necessary, you know? And, and so 
I think that's what happens to a lot of people, man, because I was like that. It was easy to say I'm a white man holding me down. You know, that's easy. That's a cop out. I don't have to do nothing. I could play. I could play. And if I fail, it's the white man. If I do well, it's me. I worked hard, you know, so you can have it both ways on this side. And I think humans are susceptible to this. And it's only until like you ready for it and you tired of it right. and the, your stack of cards get knocked down and you realize, bruh, this is not, I've been tricked. And I'm tired of being tricked, right? Some people know they tricked and they accept it. You say, I'm tired of being tricked. My dad voted for Biden. I know. I think he voted for Biden. He voted for Hillary, maybe, back when she ran. My father, it's funny. I went to an event. Like, I don't know why my mama, my stepmama and them do me like this. My stepmama have this event. where She's a sorority sister. So she have AKA event. And they still, AKA, she's AKA to the day she die. <laughs> alpha, Kappa, Alpha, pink and green. My my stepmama still going to events. You know what I'm saying? 50 years later, she's still going to events. Man, so and so they, I mean, they in it. And it just so happened Kamala Harris is an AKA. So it's like, I, that's uh, another story. Oh, my stepmom made me so mad when she'd be like, that's my sorority. I'm like, oh my God. But anyway, my stepmom used to have me go speak at this event, right? In the in the hood, uh -oh. nothing but black people. And like, it was just a workshop. And unfortunately, black people don't even show up to it. It's free. They teach you about taxes, finances, all this stuff. They don't even show up, man. And so she had me talking about the power of, of voting, right? And this, I, it's my worst speeches I've ever done in my life every time I go. Because it's awkward. Because I'm like, do I just tell them like it is? Because these are my daddy and them friends. You know, you know they're they going to be they gonna be mad at my daddy and them for bringing me. So, but I remember one time I was in there and I was talking. And, and, and like, I had one lady just walked out, man. She just walked out of the thing. And all I said was that we need to balance our voting. We can't just be so lopsided and vote one way. We have to make them work for our vote. And so I think that we over leverage our vote in the Democrat Party. And I also think that we overlooked the, a lady walked out. But my dad, he stood up because at the end, I said, anybody have questions? My dad raised his hand. He said, I want to make a comment. And I'm like, my dad is feeling like challenge me in front of everybody. And I'm not going to argue with my dad. So he gets up and he say, Black people vote for Democrats too much, and they ain't done nothing for black people. I almost fell, I almost fell off the stage. I said, what? my dad?" And I was like, on the inside, I'm like, my dad really said that. My uncle, we, we, we took my 80-year-old my great uncle to a baseball game for the first time. So I paid for them. We were in like a suite, and we did it big for him. We in there talking, right? So I, they all know what I do for a living, right? So they all, they, behind the closed door, they talk about me. But then in front of me, they like... <laughs> You know, and, and so for these my, tickets. yeah, but my uncle, my uncle said, man, them Democrats ain't never done nothing for black people. And I was like, so my daddy, wow. my uncle, my mama, uh, my grandmother, she, she, you know, she was, she was raised when, when they had segregated, uh, uh, sinks and stuff. My grandmother watched uncle Tom, the movie and said, I love that movie. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that movie. I'm grandma. Really? Y'all, I, I grew up, y'all Democrats. You agree with that movie? That's conservatives. That's Republicans. So grandma, my best friend in college. Amazing. When I first started talking about this stuff, he used to post Black Lives Matter. And like, we best friends. So I just wouldn't say nothing. I'm like, man, I can't. I can't believe my friend lost like this. But we never talk about politics when we kicking it. Bro, he he deeper than me now. COVID-19 got him. So when he started doing the research, yeah. man, he's like, oh, bro, this ain't, man. And he's like, man, I'm a Republican, bro. And he starts sharing Trump with me. So it's like, dude, it's so many people changing because it, it's only a matter of time 
that if you want to be genuine about your affairs, that you'll see it. I, I, I love that, man, that you said emotion because it's based on emotion. I tell my kids all the time, don't argue with anybody if it gets emotional because you're going to lose because you can't yeah. be, you can't beat emotions most of the right. time because they're not hearing. They're not listening to facts. So there's facts and there's emotions. Stick to the facts. Don't get emotional because you get emotional. Things get weird quick. Things get yeah. weird. Let me ask you this, man. Uh, black and brown communities, young men, what is the biggest problem that you see? I think it's a, it's a lot of them, man. I, I don't know about the brown community, but I know the black community is a lack of male, positive male role models. And a lot of that is fathers in the home, right? Because that's the premium role model is your father. But then even outside of that, if you ain't got a daddy, at least you can have some coaches or uncles or somebody in your life that's a positive male influence that show you how to be a man. And in the black community, we it, 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 we don't have that. My daddy was even in my life and I still would because other people were, were not good role models, right? You know, even though I had my dad, my stepdad was not a good role model. Mm. And, and, and even the rappers are not good role models. Basketball players, a lot of them, aren't good role models. And so all the people that I looked up to were not good role models. The dude that we looked up to was a dude in the hood named Hot Rod. He used to sell dope. And we used to think it was cool because he used to buy two pair of Jordans when they come out. He bought one to play basketball in and one to wear. I'm talking about the the the, the Jordan that come out that cost all that money. He bought two pair. We like, oh man, he go hard. He had a car with the spinners on it and he had Hot Rod and, <laughs> engraved in the seats. And we that dude was like 22. Wow. And we were like, this dude is a baller. I want to be like him because he's seen all the girls liked him, right? He got the fame. He got the attention. Everybody liked him. My, my daddy was a simple man. Everybody was like this. So in our community, we got so many bad role models and young people are susceptible and they don't get, we don't have enough exposure to America. Like the ceiling in the hood when I was growing up was like drug dealing and athletes. I mean, you do, you made it. Right. And I didn't realize that there was like, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, you know, <laughs> private jets. And I, I didn't realize there was a whole nother thing out there. Right. You know what I mean? Entrepreneurship, owning your own company, owning your own business, building something like that wasn't a thing. It was like drug dealing and making it in sports and entertainment. So I think that for young people, male influence is a, is the, one of the biggest problems and the connection with the American dream, the authentic connection with the American dream and what that means right is another issue that I think just, it, it just destroys our young people until they get old enough. And then sometimes it's too late. Yeah. I think I, I think that's a good point, man, with the, the American dream, for some reason, they've, uh, they've lied about that too, that it's not, it's only achievable for some people. Right. I mean, here, here's a perfect example. You grew up in the hood. You know, I came from a family of my mom and dad were in gangs, family, whole family was in gangs, drugs, everything. God changed our life. But the American dream, my dad realized that right away. You know, he was like, nah, we 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 can do better than this. Yeah. We're not we're not falling for all this stuff no more. Like we're we're gonna we're gonna make the change. We're gonna change the course of our family right here. We're gonna make this change. And it it, it took somebody, it took uh, it took him basically to say we're gonna stop living like that. So I don't know, man. It seems like the like the the young guys get lied to and then they 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 make the excuse. They make the excuse that I can't get better because they don't want to work hard because they it's everything's handed to them, whatever it may be. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's because, you know, if you grow up and they tell you, and you see, like, first of all, if the only people you see that look like you are athletes and entertainers, and then the people that are like president and lawyers and doctors and are white people, and they're successful and they're and they're living in this community because you drive, you know, you in the hood and you go to the white people live up here. You 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 think I'll never be up there. I, I, and then you think that they look down on me because if somebody's telling you that, you're gonna always have this fragmented perspective of reality and of your worth in America. Because every time you ride by this neighborhood and you see those really nice houses in a safe neighborhood. I'm not saying this is for every black person and not every, you know, because every somebody say you always saying everybody. It's I'm not everybody, man. That's some black people that are poor that see past this stuff. But you you drive through and you see the community instead of you saying one day I'm gonna live there. That's a, an attainable goal. How do I get there? Hey, maybe I'm gonna go through and I may network with somebody in there. Like maybe I'll go to this community to have coffee at hey. Starbucks. So I'll run into somebody that's successful and maybe I can somebody can mentor me. I can get some game. And, and, and I can live up there. But if they tell you the white man hates you, you ain't nothing but an end to them. Therefore, I would never aspire to grow and be at that point that I see. I would never go and open my understanding to a bigger world. I would never go network with a white man at a business. If I, cause he hate me, I'm a, I'm a, I ain't nothing but an end to him. White people don't love black people like that. Then I missed out on so many opportunities because if I did have a vision of living up on a hill, and if I did say, how do I network with the people that are making the money so I can make money like them? Then I start networking and my network grow, then my net worth grow, and then, and then I'll be living up on the hill. And then I'll say, you know, hey, this is attainable to everybody. But the, the sad thing is, is that we're told to hate the hill. We're told to hate the man that's on the hill. We're told to believe that the America is always against us. And if you're not willing to work two or three times harder than white people, you ain't never gonna be nothing. And even when you do become something, you ain't, the white man ain't never going to accept you. The world ain't never going to accept you. LeBron James is, is, is saying that it, it don't matter if you black, they still ain't going to do that. They still ain't going to accept you. It don't matter if you rich and drive a Bugatti, a cop will still kill you for no reason, driving out of your driveway. These are the people, our young people are looking at these people and, and yeah. glorifying and worshiping them to a certain degree. And they're telling us, you ain't nothing but an end. And even when you get here, you still are in. And it's bro, that's so it, damaging. It is damaging. I mean, when he said, I mean, I'm a I'm a Laker fan, man, but I I, I haven't watched really since Kobe, to be honest, man. <laughs> it just I thought LeBron was gonna be cool, came in, talked a lot of mess. But when he said that black men are being hunted every day, yeah, yeah. and he's one of them, and I was like, Man, like that's dangerous, man. That's very dangerous. dangerous. And here's a guy. If you look at his life, he made it right. Came from came came out of Ohio. Projects, man. Projects, right? He made it, and then he brought all his boys with him. Yeah, they all work within his company. So I'm thinking, wait a minute. That's the way it's supposed to be. So why don't you share with other black guys? Like, hey, man, you guys got something going on here. You got a good group of friends here. You can make it out just like us. And, and this is what we created. Let us help you. But no, let's keep this lie going for everybody else that's underneath me. Bro, they, they, young people, see, when I was young, see, I make a little money now. But when I was young, I was broke, right? We, were, we, were, we didn't know what poor was, but we were like lower middle class. We were like lower middle class. 
And so I don't know the world, but now that I got a little money and I know a lot of people that are super rich, I know what the world looked like in that rich people world. Yeah. So LeBron James is in a rich people world, right? Super. LeBron James is friends. He probably got a lot of white friends. He got a lot of white billionaire people that he know that he partnered with. Le LeBron James invested in his company. Uh, God dang it, I can never remember the name. It's a bicycle company because I'm into road bikes and the Tour de France and stuff like that. He, 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 him and his business partner, which one of his friends, invested 30, 30 something million dollars into this, this white company. And see, instead of him saying, because that's a smart move. Right. It's a smart move. Right. But but instead of him telling people, this is how you grow success, this is how you gain generational wealth, he'd rather focus on highlighting, oh, the woe is me. But you just invested in this, this white company that's going to yield you dividend. But you telling us, see, this is the thing that peed me off about these people. The people at the top, the black folks, they partner with white people. They have white friends. They, they, they're they they're broker uh, for, for not a broker, but their realtor is white. Their lawyers are white. They they have a world and they partner and they build businesses like they have they white they private label these these energy drinks and all this other stuff. And these are white people, business partners and all this stuff. Like LeBron may be unique. He got, I think his business partners are black, but they they have all these white people, and they're making so much money. And the white people love them, and the white people are buying their jerseys and going to see their movies, and they know it. They feel it. They go out in the public, bro, and they get stopped by white people all day long, worshiping them. Now, when you pour it in the hood, you don't see that. You don't experience that. You have no idea. And then when they when they up here living this whole life, mingling with white people and living their life in the American dream, but they tell you, man, even though I'm here, I'm still afraid of police officers. The white man still, they still look at me a certain way. They still follow me around the store. You're like, bro, the, the young man that go to Lenox Mall or somewhere or, or you know, and, and they don't get white people coming up to them and loving them and, and whatever. They start looking at white people a certain way. LeBron is not living that life like that. Oh. That dude, that LeBron James, when he came out of college, he had to sign a $90 million contract out of high school with Nike owned by a white man. Like even, even uh, your boy, Colin Kaepernick, not your boy, uh, but you give him uh, yeah, Come on now. <laughs> Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, when he did this whole kneeling thing, why wouldn't he go work with a black owned business? No, he went to Nike and signed multi-million dollar contract. He got a documentary that's coming out. All he can do is look at the script. I bet the documentary involved nothing but white people. You know, so it's, it's, it's Netflix. He did the one Netflix, yeah, working with Netflix, bro. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. They go to a business meeting and there's nothing but white people in the business meeting. Yeah. They they know they're doing this, but then they making us, because I remember being on the on the back end of that as a young man thinking like. It's just the black people at the top by themselves. It's like, no, they're not. Why don't you tell me to work with white people too? Because, and I'll say this, all of, all of the, the big business moves that I made, all of my successes, a lot of my successes came from white people. It's like, but but the young black men will cut the white people off and say, I'm going to only work with black people and I'm going to work down here. And if I can get up here, I got to work with a white man. I don't want to be up there. No, work with anybody oh. that's willing yeah. to help you be successful. So good, man. Let me ask you this. Uh, this is something that uh, I've been thinking about. How did the, I'll just call them the alphabet mafia. <laughs> How did they jump everybody? They, they, they jump BLM. They jump the Brown. They jump Asian. 
they jump everybody that's been working hard for decades, right, in this country. And all of a sudden, they come in with maybe 3% of the population. It's probably went up now, maybe less than that. Uh, and they jumped everybody, and they're everywhere. I mean, yeah, cause, faster cause, than black people, basically. 100%. Even Barack Obama was catering to them more than he did black people. So this is what they did. I envisioned this wall. And I envision the black people getting up there and then the Hispanic people on top of their back and everybody getting on each other back to get to the top. And once you make it to the top, you get over and you bring your brothers up and we all go over the wall, right? No, what they did was everybody then stacked and it's a top. They climbed up to the top and jumped over the wall and left everybody on the other side. <laughs> That's how they jumped us. They piggybacked the movement right. to, get to, to get to the top. They, they, they made... Civil rights, they may be in gay a civil right. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Like they go, well, it's a civil right. It's a civil right violation to violate somebody's lifestyle choice. So then they jumped on the civil rights movement that black people fought for for so long. Because there was no such thing as a gay and a straight water fountain. They jumped on the back of all the black struggle all the way up through the wow. 60s. And now they they are now intertwined into that struggle. And, and you know, all, all of these different things that they've been doing, they've been co-opting. Co and now they've gotten over the top and they're not reaching back. They're not shunning you if you don't participate. Yeah. And then they then they have this thing called intersectionality where black and gay is a is a like cuz you know if you black you got a class or whatever. If you brown you got a class or whatever. But now they go if you black and you gay, now you are protected. If you black and trans, now get you get more points. They didn't pull the black <laughs> and then put the gay on it and now they now they at the top of the food chain. And now Target and schools and all this stuff. I've seen that, man. It's like it's yeah. like, and I'm, I'm I'm shocked that it's happened this fast. Like I can't I couldn't believe Target did what they did. I can't believe they got these pornographic books in the schools. Oh yeah, I can't believe it. Like like I don't know if it's just it's just been happening and we just now waking up to it because of social media or whatever. Or like, dude, literally they got an adrenaline rush of gay stuff and it just Everyone. blew up. Like it was like a, like a pumping up. Like you know how the, a cartoon character be pumping the bag up and then boom, it just blow up. It's kind of like they pumping all that gay stuff up and then boom, it blow up and now gay is everywhere. And it only make up like 6% of the population of people that are gay. And then it's like less than 1% of the population are like right around 1% or so of the population is trans. But right. they are infiltrating everywhere. everywhere. But like going out of, going to go out of business. Yeah. Because they did them over anything. And then Miller just did another, well, Miller did a, like a sexist thing with it was. Yeah. I saw, woman that was kind of like, yeah, I was. I thought that was like, but I, they, I, they they wouldn't they wouldn't lose everything. They putting gay dudes. It's it's a anthropology or some some company, woman's lingerie company. Oh put yeah, put a dude on a thing. Yeah, that that one girl quit because of that, right? Yeah, the way and I made a video about her. She quit. Beautiful woman that. quit for a tranny or what some food they put on there. Like you got a woman like this, and, and y'all want to put this dude on here? You written a whisk risk women like this listen a woman women buy the lingerie not men so a right. woman ain't looking at him and saying dang that look cute on him let me wear that <laughs> speaking of the transgender man you athlete play sports your whole life they, they i mean it's kind of dying down but my biggest problem is where's all these women athletes right. speaking right. up against it right i mean they fought all this time you know they they the, the U.S. soccer fought for, to get paid and all that stuff, right? They they get it, and then dude with the wig walks right in and does his, you know, could do his thing, play for the team if he wants to. And they and they they supported him. And they you supported. Go, girl, 
come take over our sport. And it's like, it's funny because if trans wasn't a factor, then trans men, meaning girls turning into men in sports would be inconsequential. And trans women, men turning into women in sports would be inconsequential. The thing is, is that you never hear about a woman turning into oh. a man in sports because they get dogged out. But every transgender that's in these sports are number one. The dude that ran the marathon, he, he, he got, I think he was either on the podium or he was number one. He beat 14,000 women in the marathon. <laughs> only trans in the race, number one. Right. Leah Thomas, only trans in swimming, number one. Uh, you can go that, down a list. MMA fighter. MMA fighter. Busting people. Knocked the right orbit out. Yeah. Only trans in the thing, winning every, undefeated. Right. It's like, do we not see the writing on the wall? All the trans are number one. That's that's a thing. It's something there, and then they let him go in the locker room, and then Leah Thomas is supposed to like women, bro. Leah Thomas is trans but like women, but get to go in the lock, women locker room and see them women naked. Is oh. that not, bro? That's like candy. That's like kid in the candy shop. Yeah. You attracted to that? You get to see them naked in the shower. How how is he, him not getting aroused by that? Maybe he is. Maybe he peacocking. Right? He, right, he's in the thing with his with his genitals out, trying to show the women. Yeah, and, and, and maybe one of them will bite on it, and not bite on it literally, but <laughs> <laughs> bite on his approach. <laughs> Take the bait. No pun intended. <laughs> maybe I should have used another word. I'm gonna bite on it. So, <laughs> no, it's, maybe somebody would 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 actually want to, you know, be uh, right, and, and you know, I guess attracted to another to try to date him. It's it's like it's like it's like a man going into a volleyball locker room. Brother, like you see now, as a Christian, I won't know parts of that. But <laughs> if you if you see that you, you attract these women are beautiful, some of them are beautiful, yeah. and they and they, and, they, and they naked, and they showering, and water is going on all you know they, you know they 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 soap they soap it up, and you get right. to watch it. That, that's 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 ir, that's irrational and uncalled for. That's like the gay man in the locker room. Yeah, there was probably some dudes that were gay when we played football, but they you know better not say nothing. Bro, we walking around with no towel on. Don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> yeah, bro. I, I don't say nothing because now you done messed the vibe up in here. Right. You know, we popping each other with the towel. You know, we talking trash and then other. And bro, you popping people with a towel? Gets, Is it, this turning you on, bro? Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you come talk to me in my locker. I'm putting lotion on, put my underwear on. You, hey, bro, you looking, you like, you look, keep your eyes up here, bro. Like you gonna mess up the locker room vibe if you do that, but now they want openly gay football players. Like that's crazy to me. Yeah, man. So, so what do you what do you think this ends, or does it end? I don't know. That's a good question. Like I, I would look in my optimistic side. I think that what's gonna happen is things ebb and flow. They going so hard. There's gonna be a rebellion to this. It's like just with anything, you know, even even racism in America, you know, they can only go so far begin. People just begin to rebel against it. Right. They can only, you know, put gay stuff out in your kids' school. To one point, I think Christians gonna start rebelling. People gonna start putting their kids out of school, but light go out of business. And, and, and then people are gonna start like tapering back on it. And, and that's what I'm in my optimistic side, that's what I think will happen. And then we'll see it start to even out a little bit where the gay stuff will be there, but they not just pumping in your face. And also there'll be laws in place where they can't indoctrinate kids and stuff like that in some of these conservative states. And then we'll start seeing it cool off a little bit. Right Now my pessimistic side said, no, this is the end. 
right? <laughs> the Bible says yeah. in the last days. Right. So that means this is the end. Right. Um, so I don't know which one. Maybe God to give us another chance and therefore it'll it'll ebb or you know, it'll it'll go back up and then maybe we'll go through another roller coaster before Christ come back. Or we are literally looking at the end. I mean, people aren't even bold enough to stand up against this stuff. I know, man. That's they, that, they, that, that's the craziest thing to me. I, you know, fathers, like just go to your your your, your public school council meetings and just right. speak out. Just say we don't like it. If we had a if we had I saw somebody post Venus and Serena the other day. Imagine if they came out and said, nah, this ain't cool. Right. You can't have main comedian in this. Who's going to, who's going to tell them anything. And then other, other, other girls would step up. Other females would step up and they start speaking out. I think that's the biggest problem is the cancel culture. And Kids. the women are scared. They, they, they're scared. And nobody sticks together because to be honest, if Venus and Serena, if they tried to cancel them and all other women were like, no, nah, we stand by them. Y'all screwed. You cancel them. You gonna cancel them? Your whole sport is gone. Over. And the 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 fact is is that I think some of these other people at the top of the sport may be bought out. Like their company that pays them fifty million dollars a year, and their sponsors are saying, "Hey, you do this, we're gonna end your sponsorship." Right. And they not confident enough that other people will support them. So they're like, oh, "If I lose my sponsorships, the second place tennis player ain't gonna come to my rescue." Cause she may lose hers. And if they knock me off and her off, everybody else is going to be scared. But see people, I, I get it. I, I don't blame them. Right. I think mean, some of these people are like I'm making 50 million a year. Like this ain't my fight. You know what I mean? Like I'm looking out for my wealth. So I see why people may feel that way. Um, Cause they don't have no convictions anyway. They're not Christians. So they like, well, I don't care if the world go crazy. We, we love progressivism. Uh, I think trans is cool. Some of them may even agree with it, but the wimp or, you know, but the wimp, because the women, the women are the problem here, in, in in my opinion, because they could easily uh stand up against this. When they have a, a trans going to race, they, and all the women step out and say, We're not gonna compete. Right. Cancel all of us. I, 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 I know how to stop it. This is how you stop it. Cancel the WNBA and just just make the NBA. We'll right. just find the league. Let's do it. Let's do it. I think <laughs> I think that's exactly what we should do. No, 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 no co no co ed, no, no, I mean none of that, none of that women male stuff. Oh, no. Blend it together. Yes. Co ed sports. Whoever makes the team makes the team. Make the team. That's it. No quota, no nothing. nothing. It ain't be a single woman in the NBA. None. No. Brittany Griner would be, she, she, she'd probably be doing water bottles or something. That's <laughs> all she'd be good. She need to be tall enough to give a man a water bottle. Brittany Griner wouldn't even be in the league. There would be no women in the NBA. None. In the track and field. There would be no women in track and field. None. none. The American 4 by 100 meter relay, no women. No no oh. women on backups. No, because, you know, they have alternatives. No, no women on uh, alternate. Nothing. Nothing. Women would be erased. Cycling, which is my favorite sport, uh, professional cycling. There would be no women in professional cycling. Oh. They are nowhere near as good as the men. Nothing, dude. I cannot name a, a fit, MMA. I, I, I've been to, I've been to UFC fights. Definitely not. No. I mean, them women would be. They will die. Yeah. I, I saw I saw MMA fight, top woman and woman fighting, and they hitting, and it's like, uh, 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 little hits. Dudes are like, boom. I mean, it's, they get all different boom, and they get knocked out. If your woman fought a dude, he would kill her. She probably would die. Like she would have a brain contusion, right, and die. And so there would be no women in MMA. There would be no women wrestlers. I mean, only because of beauty, like because they fine and they got bodies and stuff. People <laughs> put them in there. But you talking about like sport tennis? You see Serena? I did a video about Serena. They had a double match. It was Serena. It was a Serena with a man, and another girl with a man. 
And so what happened was when the match got to the man doing the thing, he just went at Serena the whole time and they won the match. That's <laughs> it. He, he, did, he hit it at Serena every time. Uh, uh, she, she couldn't hit the ball one time. It's, it's, a, it's a big And difference. they won the match because he just went after the girl. It's crazy. Baseball, there would be no softball. Yeah, we don't need softball. What do you need softball? Need softball? They can't. They can throw eighty miles per hour. What were they doing? No gym. Throwing nothing. No gymnastics. The dude holding the bars like this. Oh yeah, he's he's gonna win every time. The flips, they bounce off the the man like three times higher than the girl. I mean, so ninety percent of sports would be completely dissolved. Women would be sitting on the sideline crying. No scholarships, no nothing, because there was no need for them in college. Right. There'd be no college sports. So anyway, that would yes, yeah, we don't want to go that way, man. I mean, if the women just spoke up, said something, we, we'd be good. We'd be good. Yeah. Hey, speak up for your own sport, man, because men are taking over your sport and our sport. So if you, if y'all want it that way, then then hey, don't come crying to us after you didn't let these transgenders come and break your break the world record. <laughs> uh, hey, man, I, I I'm gonna be respectful of your time because I know you're yeah. busy, but I, I got one more thing I do, and I call it the. Uh, the Furious Five, man. We have five Furious questions we throw out there to you. I wrote, I wrote down a couple, and uh, got them right here. We'll, we'll wrap this up. Okay, yeah, I got four more minutes. All right, got you. Question number one on the Street Gospel Furious Five: If you weren't doing what you were doing, what would you be doing? If I wasn't doing what I was doing, I think if I wasn't doing what I was doing, I would be a professional cyclist. Man. I, I, I would want to be a professional cyclist, even, you know, uh, maybe continental in the continental U.S. or uh, doing world tour. I would. That's my favorite thing to do. I wish I was a professional cyclist. You know, I follow uh, I follow Bo Jackson. He's a big cyclist oh, yeah. now, too, man. It's all over the place. I love uh, it. Question number two on Street Gospel Fury 5. There's the old roles of good cop, bad cop. If this is true, which one were you? I was a good cop. You were the good cop. I was a good cop. I was way too nice. I'd be praying with people. I had too much compassion sometimes. <laughs> so I'd be the good cop. Question number three. If you had one political wish, what would it be? That the Democrat Party was completely eliminated. Completely? Completely. Oh. No more Democrat. They could not even run for office. There was no Democrat. It was only one. It was It was only, I'll say, now let me say this. Let me, let, me, let me not be superfluous. I wish that we would get rid of the party system, meaning Democrat, Republican. There would be no party system. You run, and if they like, if people like you, they vote for you. It, it don't matter what Democrat or Republican. Right. They, 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 you run, you, you're the best candidate, people vote for you. I like that. That's Question right. number four on the Street Gospel Furious Five. Favorite UFC fighter? So I know Male or female? Male. Male? Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I like, um, what's his name? I didn't forget his name now. J uh, Jones. John Jones. John Jones. I yeah. like John Jones. I, 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 because only, only reason I like John Jones is because he's so dominant and he's so good at what he do, does. He's a, he can strike, he can do ground game, and, and he is, he is probably the baddest dude in the game. And he's one of the dudes that, um, and, my, and I love the fact that his brothers and his dad come to his events. Like, I just, he just have the whole vibe of like a father. He has his father in his life. I don't like the domestic violence stuff he did, but as a fighter, I, I like his game. I like the fact that he's technical and he can brawl. And so I, he's like one of my favorite ones. There's, there's another kid. I forget his name. He's an up and coming guy. 
I follow him on social media, but I forget his name. He, he's a really good guy. He's I think he got one loss right now, and he he's off the chain. I gotta I gotta look his name up, but I think I think Jones is probably my favorite right now. Yeah, I like Jones. I'm a I'm a big Diaz guy, man. It's cause he, he Oh yeah, Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is he don't like I love him cause he raw, man. That dude give you a fight. I was at one of his fights, man. He just blood coming down his face and he ain't running. He just throwing him. It's and he almost won, man. It was it was the guy. I see, I don't remember people's names and I'm terrible. But I know what you're talking about. It was he, uh he, he almost champ. won that fight. Champ huh? He's the, actually the champ now. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, he's the champ now. He ended up beating the, the old boy. The, the last the African uh, guy. Yeah. But bro, I was there at the fight and, and he was just beating the daylights out of Diaz, right? I mean, he Diaz bleeding and the dude was like unscathed. And right at the end, man, he caught homeboy and he went. Saw that. And Diaz kind of looked at him and then he went and I'm like, ah, it's like 10 seconds left, 10, nine, and then it was over. But Diaz, he go to the end, man. So yeah. I respect him, but I like I like John Jones as a fighter better. Yeah, John Jones. Probably the greatest of all time. If he can get, keep his head straight, he'd be the greatest of all time. Last question. Question number five. A little fun one right here. Where is the best place to eat in your hometown? Oh, that's a good question. I, I, I'd say I say Steak 44. Steak I'm a steak guy. I love steak houses. So Steak 44 is my favorite place to eat here. Nice, man. Oh, no, no. Hold on. In my hometown. Your hometown. Oh, my hometown. I, I, I'm thinking here where I live now. Okay. In my hometown. That's a good question. A little spot out there or what? I'll tell you the little spot we used to eat at is AJ's. AJ's. H&J's. Uh, H&J's, a little bitty mom and pop place. They have fish sticks. They have uh, gizzards. <laughs> they got uh, they got everything in there, man. I, I, every time I used to go there, I used to get the little fried chicken. Bomb. The AJ's burger bomb the milkshakes bomb and right. i don't even know they even open anymore but aj's a little bitty shack and you drive around it best and places. you go through and get the stuff it, best places and the shake is good there's another place that's good but i don't know if i can say it uh it's in como and and they do uh it's not i wouldn't do it anymore but they, they used to do mixed drinks and they had a, a strategic way where they get around the law is they'll do the mixed drink for you and they'll wrap it up in a way where it's enclosed and so you can kind of get mixed drinks to go you just got to keep it in the wrapper and then when you take it home you can you can take it so <laughs> that was a spot that nobody people knew about but you couldn't say nothing because it was kind of borderline on the edge but those are the two little spots that you ain't gonna find nowhere Hey, man, I appreciate you coming out, Brandon. Uh, appreciate your time, man. Anything you want to shout out before we get out of here? No, man, I just want to thank you guys for having me on, man. And, and you guys can follow me on social media at The Officer Tatum. I got you, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Hope you have a good day, man. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Uh, we're watching out here. All right, perfect, man. Appreciate you, brother. All right, I'll see you. All right, man.